interest in the following audio recording produced by Chesterton House, a center for Christian studies at Cornell University. Support for Chesterton House comes entirely from listeners like you, and we invite you to help us continue making the recordings of past lectures available at no cost through a donation to the ministry. You can find additional resources and make a donation at www.chestertonhouse.org. This audio recording is copyrighted and unauthorized duplication is prohibited. Yeah, starting with your title, you're setting up sort of a false First of all, you're disregarding all these other varieties of religion other than Christianity. And Islam, for example, made great computations to science and mathematics before Christian Europe got onto it. And, and also, um, just the two choices, atheism or Christianity, you don't see rumors saying agnosticism or secularity, whereas the scientist itself isn't theological, but it does not dispute other parts of your life that may be religious. Basically, well, let me, let me address the part of the question which I think I can address, and then if I haven't covered your topic, we could, we could come back. Um, what about other religions? You know, he's a, he's the question is, I have to set up a false dichotomy. I mean, it's not really a dichotomy. There are other options. Um, you know, that's a fair question, and you raise, well, quite rightly, the question about Islam. And it, it's the case that Islam, in many senses, preserved the wisdom of the Greeks, particularly, in, through the Dark Ages, when, when Christendom as a whole uh, essentially lost all of that uh, learning, and it was rediscovered and brought back um, from, from Islam, um, and, and with substantial additions, um, after all, you know, why do we call algebra algebra? It's, you know, it's from, it's from uh, Arabic words. But I, I, I would nevertheless follow through on, on that. It's true that there was substantial progress in mathematics in, in Islam, in sort of uh, uh, you know, the mid-millennium. But why did Islam then not develop modern science as we know it? And there's some very good reasons for that. Islam taught that one had no business drawing any representation of a creature, of an animal. And that's why Islamic architecture is nearly always abstract. So there were built into Islam certain um, uh, forbidden areas which prevented Islam from going further than abstract uh, mathematics and getting down and dirty with the kind of experimental science that was what transformed science from what it had been into the modern science we know today. So I would argue that, and, and one can make the same case about Hinduism and, and, and uh, Buddhism and so forth, that, that there is a deep sense in which Christianity and Judaism had in the essence of their theology the seeds of science. And so I think, that, you know, again, I gave the references to a couple of books where you can read more seriously about that. So that would be my first answer to that question. I'm not quite sure whether I covered all the topics of that question. Do you want to come back for one quick one? Or you have enough? Another question then from someone else. Yeah. Did you find for you the difference between knowledge and belief? Uh, well, I mean, the classic definition of knowledge is that it's justified true belief. Okay? In other words, it's belief, but it's also belief that is uh, justified by some kind of evidence. Repeatable in clarity? 
that would be the case for scientific knowledge, but it wouldn't be the case for other types of knowledge. There are other types of evidence than scientific evidence. Uh, and, of course, the other thing is that it's true, but, but in a certain sense, that, that's a tautology. So I don't, I'm not being a philosopher, I wouldn't necessarily go there. But, um, is that the question? Or you want a follow-up question? There's something underlying the question here. It seems that if you accept that you know, things are true and you can just know them, then you're lumping a lot of belief into knowledge. I, just, I don't think things are just that you can just know things. I think you can know things by virtue of evidence. And I think that there is evidence for, let's say, the facts of history. I mean, we know that, you know, uh, Julius Caesar crossed the Rubicon. That's something that we feel as though we know. But we don't know that because of science. We believe it. Yeah, you know, I think it's a quibble. I would argue that it's justified true belief. Okay, and therefore I think it's knowledge. Uh, in, in, in essentially the same way as many other things of knowledge. Um, is this a follow-up to this question? Yeah. Uh, yes. I guess it's the question of the glass being half full of full happen. If one looks at the statistical basis of the scientific science, it would be fair to say it would be fair to say that perhaps ninety nine percent of Western Europe at the time of Christmas. So to have fifty percent, nearly fifty percent as agnostic or atheist as probably is quite remarkable actually. Is that perhaps they were able, to, you know, because um, if 99% of the pioneer sites were, were Christians, then you could not, there would be no relative risk increase. Yeah, I don't actually think that your presumption is correct. I think it would be true to say that in intellectual circles in Western Europe in the, eight, in the 18th century and, and onwards, there was growing disaffection. Uh, with Christianity in many intellectual circles. And, and in fact, you, you know, a big fraction of the Enlightenment, which is led by the sort of French philosophers, was part of a reaction against religion and, and, and was wanting to get away from religious authority. So I'm not sure your presumption is right. Uh, you know, I, I don't want to argue that, you know, some, somehow the presence of so many scientists is some proof that Christianity is true. I, I don't think it is a proof that Christianity is true. I'm not trying to say that. All I'm trying to say is that for a large number of the, the scientists whom we think of as being the, the, the heroes of, of science, they did not find any intrinsic contradiction between their being scientists and their being serious Christians. And that's simply a fact of history. But, yeah. Well, the other way of looking at it is Scientific American that of the scientists that were elected to the National Academy of Sciences, of course, all from scientists, about 40% believe in God. But of those elected to the National Academy of Sciences, if that can be a benchmark or achievement in science, only 10% believe in God and 5% of biology. Did, did everyone hear that? He said, he's pointing to the fact that there was a, a uh, a sociological survey of the members of the National Academy of Science which showed a rather, rather small fraction of the current, or, or actually not the current, but, but a long time ago, members of the National Academy of Science are, were, were Christian believers. Um, I think that, you know, that, that one thing that the sociolo sociological studies show is that by and large, people in academia are less likely to be religious believers, Christians, whatever, 
than are people in society as a whole. And it may well be the case that people, you know, in, in positions of authority within the National Academies of Science, etc., etc., uh, have an even less likelihood uh, to be Christian. Nevertheless, within academia, it's the scientists that are more likely to be Christians than the people in the humanities and the other disciplines. That's point number one. So, yeah, I acknowledge that. Secondly, ask yourself what the National Academy of Sciences is. The National Academy of Sciences is a bunch of people who elect themselves. And they elect themselves for certain ideological reasons. And a big part of that ideology, in the case of the U.S. National Science, is to promote science and, in many cases, frankly, scientists. So it doesn't actually surprise me in the least. I was down uh, at the National Academy of Science two weeks ago, a committee that I'm a member of. And it was fascinating to be in the Keck Auditorium, see all of the stuff up there. And it's a one, this wonderful architecture. They've got some marvelous friezes, and, and, and you know they've got some evolution setups, and they've got some some uh, skeletons, and they've got all kinds of wonderful scientific stuff. They've got the equations of physics on the carved on the floor. But you've got to realize that this is what the National Academy of Science is about. It's about promoting science, and in large measure, it does that through, in part, through scientism. So it doesn't surprise me. Uh, and because there's in part a big self and built-in selection process which tends to rule out people of faith uh, from the National Academy of Sciences. Um, you've had a question. Here's a question. Okay, why is creationism so popular among believers? American believers. Okay. Well, okay, let me, let me expand on the question a little bit. I do believe that in America, there, people are far more worried about the argument between creationism and evolution than they are in any other country in the world. I'm, I'm from England originally. I lived three years in Australia. Uh, I would say Christians there don't spend nearly as much time worrying about evolution and creation as they do in America. So I would attest to your implied at least anecdotal view that, uh, we have, that for some reason in the U.S. we are more worried about it than, than, uh, than in other places. I actually have several theories. One theory, I'll give you one of my theories. Uh, these are all purely speculations. I told you to watch out for the speculations, right? Okay. This is a speculation. Uh, I speculate that it's partly to do with the U.S. Constitution and the separation of church and state, and in particular the radical interpretation of that Constitution that over the last 20 or 30 years, has sort of banished religion from schools, from high schools. Because I believe that, that Christian parents want their children to have religious issues be part of their education, because those things are very important. And, and so what's happened if you take a very strict separation of church and state, which means thou shalt not speak religion in schools, is that banishes religion from schools. Here's, a, here's an anecdote. My son, Simon, you saw him graduate from college, okay? When he, was, when, he was in, when he was in elementary school, one holiday season, he and his class were collecting songs. And so there was, this was a project. So, that, so each of the people in the class was collecting songs. So Simon collected a lot of songs, and he bound them into a book, and he wrote on the front, Christmas Carol. Okay, it was Christmas time. 
He went, to, he went in and uh, he showed it to his teacher. His teacher was scandalized. She said, you can't call those Christmas carols. You must call those holiday songs. Okay? <laughs> dear, oh dear. <laughs> now, that, that's the radical interpretation of the separation of church and state. And, and Christian people don't like that. And I think that part of a strategy that they've been pursuing, although I don't think it's a very effective strategy, is to say, well, okay, if science is allowed in school, but religion isn't allowed in school, let's somehow make my religion into science, and then I can get it into school. So that's one speculation. Maybe there are other speculations out there, but I'm not sure. I think they would all be speculations. Yes. Okay, what's my view on some of the controversial research uh, topics that are in the, in the news, stem cells, etc., etc.? First of all, I'm not a biologist. Wet and slippery things are not attractive. <laughs> and so I'm very reticent to, to speak, with, and I don't speak with any authority uh, about, about that. But, but I do think that it's very, very important for us as Christians and for, for society as a whole to ask tough questions about technologies and ask whether technologies should or should, should be developed and or used. Um, you know, I, and I think that the hot button areas right now in science are different from what they used to be. I, I, I'm a plasma physicist, I'm an expert in nuclear science and engineering. And once upon a time, you know, the, the nucleus and nuclear power and the nuclear bombs was a big area. It's less of an area of concern now, although it's still an important area of concern. Focus has moved to some of these biological uh, questions which you're, which you're alluding to. I think it's vitally important for every person and every scientist to think hard about should we be developing technologies which put humans in control of the beginning of life and the end of life. And I think those are the two big areas that, that we, where we have tough questions about. But, you know, I'm waffling now, so I'm not going to give you a clear answer on this. Go ahead with one more question, then we'll break up. Question. Up at the top there. Yeah. Okay. Um, uh, two more questions. First, how do you become a Christian? And second, uh, Okay. So did you all hear that? How did I become a Christian and have I had any strange looks as a Christian inside? Um, I became a Christian when I was an undergraduate at Cambridge University and uh, it was in large measure as a result of knowing some, some of my closest friends who were Christians, uh, as a result of reading the Bible and as a result of going and hearing a series of talks by Michael Green called Jesus Spells Freedom. And, and really that brought into focus in my mind the claims of Christ. And I came to believe that the best explanation of history and of the world around us is that Jesus really was and is who he said he was and that he really did rise from the dead. And if that was the case, I'd better do something about it. So that's how I became a Christian in, in sort of a few sentences. You know, I have from time to time had hard decisions that I've had to make in science because I'm a Christian. But I would say by and large I have not 
experienced what I would call persecution uh, or, or, you know, strange looks. Um, yeah, maybe I've had some strange looks, but, you know, strange looks, uh, strange looks aren't a big problem. You get strange looks where, well, I get strange looks everywhere. Um, so, you know, I think there is a sense in, in uh, science that, um, uh, and in academia as a whole, that Christians are pretty strange people sometimes. But it's okay to be strange. You know, we are to be God's peculiar people. Um, and we shouldn't be deliberately peculiar, but we should, but we should be willing to be peculiar if, if that's what it takes. But the broader issue is, I think, you know, we in the West, in the U.S., uh, whatever uh, strange looks or other forms of persecution we face are nothing compared to what Christians face in other countries of the world. You know, if we were in Sudan, if we were in various countries of sub-Saharan Africa, if we were in China, it would be, or if we were in Arab countries for that matter, it would be a matter of life and death if we were to name the name of Jesus Christ and try to follow him. So whatever persecution I have or, or, or strange looks I've experienced, I don't count them as anything.